0: it's kind of hard when you uh, come up with the anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine because of the clock and the different time zones and so forth. But suffice to say, um, we are approaching the one-year uh, anniversary of that. And we're pleased to welcome in Professor Lena Sersko-Harned, who is an associate teaching professor of political science and associate director of the Public Policy Fund at Penn State. Ber- uh, Bernard and she has family members in ukraine this is intensely personal to her so you have professor harned good morning welcome first of all
1: good morning thank you very much for having me
0: thank you for taking the time with us this is an intensely personal thing to you as well as something that you study correct
1: yes yes the stars um, aligned for me pardon me ma'am so the stars aligned it is personal and it yeah. is what i what i I
0: do. In a very negative way, I guess. Um, and, mm-hmm. and if you don't mind, I'd like to ping-pong back and forth between personal and historical to um, get, get a, a first-hand feel for this, for what's going on. Tell me, if you will, how you found out about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how it affected you personally and who was there, etc.
1: Mm, well, again, as a <clears throat> political scientist and uh, someone who studied the region very closely for many years, I've been Paying close attention to what's going on and what was going on on Ukrainian borders um, since um, April of 2021, right? Paying close attention to what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, And I'm referring, of course, to the troop buildup that was happening all through the year on Ukrainian borders, Russian-Ukrainian borders. So to some degree, right, this was a highly um, anticipated event in the sense that uh, the intelligence services were warning about this. Um, They were warning the British and American intelligence services were speaking about this. President Biden uh, warned President Zelensky about the impending invasion, you know, lots of diplomacy going on in Europe. So um, the rapid succession of events that happened since February 21st, when Putin first made um, his very dangerous speech with regard to Ukraine and precipitating them into <clears throat> the evening of February twenty-third, which it was here in the United States where I am, which was the morning of the twenty-fourth in Kyiv. and um, you know, we were on the edge of our seats. I was on the edge of it. I was actually very, very concerned for my family safety, my family vital there in Kiev in the capital city. And you know, my sister at the time was there and um, other relatives. So um I was very concerned for them. I think actually on February twentieth I had this absolutely horrifying feeling inside of my stomach that this is happening. Something's really coming. And I remember calling them and asking them to get out of the city. And of course, I got, no, we're staying home. Don't panic. Um, we, we, we're staying here. Um, so when the news actually came on the evening of the 23rd, which again would have been the morning of the 24th uh, overseas, I was actually here with um, my mother, who's been here with me since December of the previous year, she came to help me with my child. And, yeah, we, um, we watched that in absolute horror speech, paying to every word, understanding very well, as implied. Full-scale invasion had begun.
0: When the invasion happened... And and your relatives, the proximity to where the the explosions were going off and so forth. Because here here's what I'm thinking of, Professor Harned. We, we, you know, we go through hurricanes here, and it's one thing to have family members call and check on you and, and say, are you going to evacuate? Should you evacuate? Are you going to ride it out or not? But that that is a, uh, something that is a force of nature that is out of your control, but you know when it's going to be over for the most part. This is mm-hmm. not that case at all. Um, how close were your family members to um, the fighting, and, and how concerned were you, and how did they get out? Where are they now?
1: So, you know, being that they were in the capital, right, and that's where the first offensives happened. first few days were the eyes won, of in terms of uh, would the Russian army be able to take it, as they claimed, within hours, within days. Um, so it was quite um, quite concerning, very very concerning. You know, many people from Ukraine who were in this surrounding area did head for the border for the west, uh, away from the borders of Russia. And of course, the uh, the first few days were you know open artillery fire that was in, in major cities. I'm thinking of Kharkiv right now in the eastern part, um, further from Kyiv, but um, very close to the Russian border, that was, that city took a serious, it continues to be gone. But, you know, as the war went on, we also now see that the, it, I think it's important to remember, right, that the artillery, <clears throat> the shelling of Ukraine, the rockets that keep flying to Ukraine, they fly all over Ukraine. There's no region of Ukraine really that is safe or that hasn't been Hit so, in terms of proximity to the war, and you in Ukraine, you can't you, escape in it. The war, yeah,
0: you can't escape it. It's there. Do you still have family members that are in Ukraine?
1: Oh, of course, yes. Yeah.
0: So, do you talk yes, to them I mean. on a regular basis? And and is it common daily? F- <laughs> daily, and is it common for missiles yes. or explosions to be going off where? Like I I say, I guess I should say a daily occurrence for them—something they deal with every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, daily occurrence. You know, the air raid sirens are daily occurrence. Um, The um, power outages. You know, yeah, it's it's a very different kind of life, but it it does go on, and this is the remarkable thing, right? That the life does go on. People still work. People still, you know plant seeds, um, tend to gardens, you know, they carry on. And that is the extraordinary picture of Ukrainian resilience in all of this, and also commitment to have the life go on as almost the fact of defiance in the face of this invasion.
0: Is it reminiscent to you of the British, and I know you're a learned uh, woman, uh, of of the British going into the, um, I guess, the subway system tube at night and then during World War II coming out and going about their business?
1: Yes, of course. I and mean, actually those perils have been made several times, right, because the subway stations in the have turned into bomb shelters, and mm-hmm. that's exactly, you know, where my family and friends were hiding in the first days of war and then throughout this whole experience, right? They That's part of daily life now.
0: What did you know? about your relatives, the people of Ukraine that Vladimir Putin did not know. Where did his big miscalculation come in?
1: Oh, this is this is a you know a topic of the dissertation. This is a book link. I
0: want to hear it, Professor. That's why you're here. <laughs> I wanna hear it all, please.
1: <laughs> so you know there's plenty of miscalculations that have happened there. Um of course one of the big things that Putin has repeatedly pointed out that there is no such thing as Ukrainian nation. Boy, is he wrong. Um, There absolutely is a Ukrainian nation. There's a, you know, research shows, the public opinion survey show that Ukrainians actually have increased over the last um, even 10 years in their level of understanding of themselves as a separate uh, nation, right? As a unique nation in a sense also there is a a fantastic increase in unity and a lot of what ukrainians have been going through in these last 30 years since the soviet union broke up in 1991 has been finding their own unique voice and building their own country and yeah it's been a struggle yeah it has been not an easy road there's setbacks time and time again but ukraine slowly but steadily has been making the commitment towards democracy um, you know, fight with the corruption is one of the big things, right? But it's one of the reasons why we are even talking about this is because Ukrainians have made strikes to address it. Um, so in that way, I think that is probably one of the largest miscalculations of Vladimir Putin, that he actually did think that he was going to be fighting a corrupt regime, right? He keeps saying this, some kind of assertion of power that happened um, and uh, Ukrainians are somehow are not free, which is absolutely not the case. Um, you know, Ukrainians have been having, unlike Russia, have been having democratic, transparent the um, since and the president Zelensky right now, he was elected with unprecedented level of three percent. And those, uh, approval ratings are even climbing now war effort so there's you know there's this tremendous amount of miscalculation i think putin has also miscalculated his own capability um of course in light of that resistance that he had encountered in ukraine so a lot of his objectives had to be modified since in the last year it doesn't mean that his commitment to take ukraine has weakened but rather objectives i think are um had to be reconsidered in terms of the realities that they have encountered.
0: Um, day-to-day life in Ukraine. And I know you already talked about going to the subways and then coming out. Are uh, utilities working not off and on? Or what about uh, availability of food or rations, water, fresh water, those kind of things? What is the average day like for somebody in Ukraine today?
1: So again, I think it depends on where you are in Ukraine. Um, uh, you know, there's, you know, I, I'm more, most familiar with the life in Kiev at the moment. That's,
0: that's what I meant where primarily, where Professor. And most, I should have I should have phrased are. I should have phrased the question differently. For somebody in Kiev, what it's like? What What is an average day like?
1: Right. So, um, I understand that now the um, lights are much more frequently on. Actually, one of the friends recently said, "Oh, this is so remarkable to have that much light available." Right, and like we forgot how, um, on one hand, precious that resource is when you have electricity, but at the same time, they're like, we don't need that much light, <laughs> right? So they sort of you adapted le- to that. You learn to live new, without new reality. It, yeah, yeah. You, they mm-hmm. learn to live without it, or you know, use it scarcely. But you know, it it has been a challenge, right? Because people have to seriously think about their days, their plans, um, uh, plan accordingly. But a lot of businesses were able to get generators, um, and um, they sustained their business that way. You know, universities were able to, some of the universities continue to do their work. Um, famously, right, the Kiev School of Economics this has been absolutely the beacon of um, a lot of this struggle and resistance. Uh, also, the friends and colleagues there have done remarkable things of also providing, continue to provide education, collecting and running a charity its quite um, um, a sign, uh, um, example of that resilience and defiance that I'm talking about. So, you know, yeah, the, there is still food, right? The prices are higher than they used to be, which is expected. Um, but life goes on.
0: Let me take a break. We'll pick it up here we come back. I appreciate your time, I really do, and a, and a fascinating insight because, as the professor said, the stars were aligned, not necessarily in a good way, because she studied this for her life's work as a political scientist, and her, she has family there, and she's from there, and and this all came together, so I don't know who better to speak to this than Professor Lena Sirsko-Hartud, who is our guest and associate teaching professor of political science, and associate director of the Public Policy Fund at Penn State, we're going to talk about uh, some the resolve and resilience of the Ukrainian people. Which I think you would think that you could look at it one of two ways: that either it's wearing down or it's becoming stronger. I think it's becoming stronger as the time goes on. And I wonder what the end game is here: how the people in Ukraine look at it, and how the professor looks at it. And I always want, I also want to talk about Volodymyr Zelensky because. I think Shakespeare said some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And I'd like to see what the professor thinks about President Zelensky when we come back. 504-260-187. If you have any questions or comments, it's 922. I'm Tommy Tucker back in a flash on WWL. 927, talking to Lena Sersko-Harnett, Associate Teaching Professor of Political Science, Associate Director of the Public Policy Fund at Penn State Behrend. Um As we approach the one-year anniversary of Russia's war with Ukraine, she has family members there. She studied this for her life's work, and it really is. the. I guess the stars are perfectly aligned, if only it could be in a more positive way. Um, professor, you know, I find it interesting that, as I read this op-ed that you wrote um about why do you stay there? Are people going to go back? And and we and look, I'm not comparing it at all, but, you know, we were devastated by Katrina and we had a lot of that here with, well, why do you live there? Why do you stay there? And the answer is simply because it's home. And I guess when it comes to Ukraine, as this war has continued on, my guess would be that it has not weakened the strength of the resolve of the Ukrainian people, but that it has strengthened it. Am I right?
1: Yes, you absolutely are right. And the um, another very interesting observation, of course, is that since the beginning of war, right, there was a huge uh, outpouring of people running for safety in the start of the war. Since April, um, by some estimates, near 5 million have returned back. Wow. And, yeah, and it's a staggering sort of reality. Um, you know, people also, I think, need to understand that people are going back when they and there's a variety of reasons, right, why they're going back, but mostly because it is it is home, mm-hmm. and there is no better place than home. And you make that resolve of whatever comes, uh, we're going to work this together. I, I, I tell you now, um, my uh, younger sister arrived from Ukraine, you know, begged and begged and begged for her to get out of the city, and um, she <clears throat> talks about going back, constantly. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have to rebuild. I want to be part of it, and uh, yeah, public resolve has strengthened, and um, it's a it's a very positive development.
0: That's awesome. I uh, quoted Shakespeare before. I don't know if you heard it or not about Vladimir Zelensky. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the president?
1: I think the president has been um, doing a very fine job in uh, conducting that. Um, war for the hearts and the minds of people around the world on behalf of Ukrainian people. Um, I think he, he surprised himself maybe by the fact how um, much he has become the symbol of this. But again, I can't speak for him. I can't speak for um, Ukrainians who I know um, supported him. Some Ukrainians who have not supported him, his presidential bid, right, given his... past as the entertainer and not politician. but I think that actually has come to um, be one of his strengths: humanity and the humanitarianism that really has connected that connection to humanity. What I'm saying,
0: even Um, even as simply I would say as I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. That that had to be a big moment for Ukraine.
1: Correct, correct. I think that want him a lot of support
0: from Ukrainians and stuff. So looking forward, um, I guess from the political standpoint and not so much the personal standpoint, how, what is the end game here for Putin? How, how do you see him strategizing this because he's not a, a man to admit defeat however he will throw whomever he has to under the bus to make it look as though it was. A victory how do you see this playing out professor
1: well you see this is a fantastic question on so many levels um, and uh, you're gonna hear in the next <laughs> I'm sure you've heard you're gonna hear a lot of speculation about Putin's end game is the thing is that again one very important thing to remember that there, he is the person who can end this war today if you really want it. as you absolutely correctly said he has all the tools necessary to make a believable story for his own domestic public that there has been a win. The fact that this is not happening tells us that there is no desire to stop, mm. right? That there is no desire to end this war on the Russian side, on Putin's side. Um, so, how far he's willing to go, um, it's at this point anybody's guess. Everybody's concerned about his views of. Um, his threat of nuclear weapons, right? And he's been rattling that nuclear sword for the last year as a as a possibility. Um, does he have that nukes? Can he use them? Yes. Will he? Anybody guess? Yeah. Um, in terms of ending, uh, how it looks for Ukraine, Ukrainians want peace, and that, I think something that people also need to realize that Ukrainians do want peace, but they also recognize that history has taught us the occupation of the Soviet Union, the previous experience and the Russian Empire have shown that this is the war that is existential. Right? That is that if Ukrainians are not allowed to win or Russia regain or takes territories that it's now annexed and claims them as their own, you know, this is the in, in many ways, a threat to Ukrainian very existence as, an, as a nation, as, as a distinct people. Um, so, and there needs to be a peace that is just, because again, after all these war crimes and genocidal, frankly, acts, um, Russian government and those who were committing this these atrocities have to be held accountable. Um, so, their understanding of what this peace might look like cannot be a, um, understood without justice that has to be taken place in the end and that it, to ensure that lasting peace.
0: You've studied this for a long time. He has a giant ego, but he is also the ultimate pragmatist. So I, I don't know, Professor. You've, it's got to be hard for you to sort it out personally, but professionally you've got to have some type of instinct or some type of feeling as to do, I don't think he'd use nukes, do you?
1: I do not either. Um, there is a lot of sort of um, to consider here what goes on into the um, use of nuclear weapons, right? It's not that Putin is not alone in all of this. He does have surroundings around him, too, advisors and so on. And, you know, you have to believe that these people actually want to live also, right? that this right. is not, not the best end game for them either. Even though, if you listen to some of the Russian propaganda, you um, you get a very different picture.
0: Um, do you do you think this will end? If uh, as as long as let me rephrase the question, will this end before Putin is removed, or will Putin have to be removed for this to end with Ukraine?
1: Also, one of these speculative questions that. Um, Many have believed that if Putin goes, the war stops. I'm not entirely sure that this is the case. Mm-hmm. Although, again, if Putin is removed, right, there might be a necessity and squafafo inside the um, internal Russian leadership, right, the whoever is next on the throne. But again, it's going to depend how he goes, right, whether, <laughs> I hate to, to be that speculator, but that, that matters.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's
1: many of what-ifs.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Um, how has this affected his, his position in Russia? Is he still controlling the narrative where the people only know what he wants them to know?
1: Yeah, so if you actually watched some of the um, recent, this week's events even, right? He delivered that very highly anticipated speech to the both chambers of Russian parliament and the members of the government. Um, On the 21st, yesterday, they had this gigantic rally concert in support of the war um, in Moscow. So there is a great deal of control. However, at the same time, the speech didn't reveal anything new. It was, you know, much of the same old without, you know, any kind of no preparation for the way out, as it were, right? It is just mm-hmm. a commitment of um, going forward with the same old. Um, and, yeah, Putin seems to be controlling the narrative for the time being. But, again, there is a, a bit of a, a tiredness, as it were, that might be um, observed from those in the audience which, into his speech. Uh, but in terms of, you know, public opinion support, I think that's what you probably were getting mm-hmm. at. One of the interesting things that, of course, Putin's approval ratings have gone up considerably since the beginning of the war, right? He was like, according to public opinion, pulling from Russia, from the Levada Center, over 80. It took a hit when he uh, announced partial mobilization in September. Uh, But again, it's still the approval rating, if we believe those numbers, are enviable. At the same time, we also know that a lot of people who disagree with Putin have left the country. So are there people who completely trust him? You betcha. Are there people who do not believe this narrative but are too afraid to speak? Probably. Are there people who disagree with him who are out of the country? Absolutely.
0: I find it interesting you said that Ukrainian people were able to kind of rediscover or reclaim their history. Talk about that, if you would.
1: Yeah, so, you know, through the time of the Soviet occupation, um, through the time of the Soviet Union existence, uh, a lot of history of Ukraine has been well, basically erased or rewritten in a way that showed that Ukrainians were really, um, basically re- repeating that narrative that Putin right now is repeating. Ukraine is somehow this artificial, this artifice um, that was created thanks to the Soviet leadership. And some of the bigger, horrific events and atrocities that have been uh, done to Ukrainians throughout um, the last hundred years have been sort of uh, erased or downplayed. Um, So since 91, there has been a, a serious effort of rediscovering all that ugly, horrible truth. You know, when you have parks, literally, children's parks build on the sides of mass graves and children then discover skulls as they play soccer, Oh and we you know people start digging. historians come and they discover a massive burial ground that was done by Encover there in 40s, right? You start to wonder mm. what's up. Um, so a lot of the history has been uncovered thanks to tireless work of historians and um, civil society and so on. So um, Ukrainians now know way more about what actually, went on and how they have been prosecuted, um, what the culture was lost,
0: um, and so on. One more question, and I'll let you go, and I appreciate your time, Professor. I really do. For people that are listening right now, and, and American tax dollars are going to help Ukraine, explain to them, if you would, please, why it is not only in the best interest of Ukraine, but why it is in our best interest for the U.S. to continue to help
1: that is a fantastic question, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. I think it's um, I can understand the fatigue, right? I am, let's face it, I'm an American too, mm-hmm. right? So I also contribute these taxes, and I understand the, the question on American minds, why should we continue supporting this? But it's not a handout, right? This is really an investment in greater security of the world. Because at this moment, a very important issue, fight is happening and Ukrainians are fighting that um, to protect the international order, the one in which not the order in which might makes right, but in which there is justice, there is a protection and the rule of law in which there is a respect for sovereignty and territorial integrity. There is respect for sovereignty and for democracy, for that matter. And if Putin is allowed to claim their next territory, if he is allowed to erase Ukraine, there's plenty of other people out there watching um, and other powers that might move on and also then take advantage of this weakened and destroyed international system, which also would mean less peace, way less peace around the world and much more dangerous wars perhaps with much more dire consequences. So this is not just a Ukrainian fight. This is really a Ukrainian fighting on behalf of the entire world. I hate to sound that pompous, but that is really what it comes down to.
0: Professor, I appreciate your time. Any final thoughts for us?
1: Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really want to thank everyone who continues to support Ukraine, people that uh, like you, people who uh, continue to express interest, who ask questions, who don't become complacent, and do not allow for this war to be normalized and forgotten. So thank you very much.
0: Have a good day, Professor. Thank you. God bless you and your thank family. You. Professor Liener Sershko Harned, Associate Teaching Professor of Political Science and Associate Director of the Public Policy Fund at Penn State Baroned. And, you know, we we hear about these things and we read about these things, and you talk to somebody like Professor Harnad. And it makes you realize how real it is and how it involves people just like you and me and how what they're going through is not dissimilar to what we went through after Katrina. 9.42, 18 before 10, time for traffic now on WWL.